Hi, welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan, and we are joined today by my friend, Melissa Pellman. Um, Melissa is the executive pastor at um, a church called Faith Family in Shiloh, Illinois. And I first met her um, close to a year ago now, I would say, is when my family started attending that church on a regular basis. But Melissa, I'll just kind of let you introduce yourself, give us a little background. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Melissa Pellman, as she said. Uh, I, um, gosh, I'm the executive pastor at Faith Family Church. I've been um, attending uh, Faith Family Church since probably 2002, so a long time, about 18 years. Um, and I attend with my husband, Sean. And so my husband and I, we, were, we got married maybe a little over two years ago, about two and a half years ago. Maybe. Um, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Hey, COVID makes everything completely different. So I have no idea. It feels like it's been longer. Um, But yeah, so two and a half years, uh, married him. I've known him for, well, 18 years. So we went to youth group together and then finally our paths crossed and just a great man. So, and then we are expecting our first child, a baby boy here in October. Uh, So we're really excited about that. And um, yeah, so I love working at Faith Family. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I've had many different roles here, uh, but most recently, about a year and a half ago, took over um, executive pastor position, and uh, my life has never been the same. <laughs> so, can I just ask, like, what what does executive pastor mean? Because, like, I think in my head, it is actually sounds like something different than what I think it really is. So, okay, <laughs> well, it may be different in different areas. Uh, for for us here at Faith Family, it means that um, I'm kind of uh, you know Pastor Rick and Margie, our senior pastors. I'm kind of their right-hand man, woman. Uh, so I execute their vision. Uh, I lead all of the ministry leaders that we have here. Uh, I help lead them. Um, and sorry, I'm getting a phone call, oddly enough. Sorry about that. I have no idea how that happened. Um, so yeah, so I lead ministry leaders um, uh, You know that, uh, that lead ministries here. I oversee the staff um, all of the different assistance and support systems, and then uh, all of our pastoral care. So anything that has to do with taking care of people, I oversee those people who manage those people. So I'm not sure if that is as clear, it's probably as clear as mud, but um, <laughs> basically I execute what Pastor Rick and Margie have in their heart. No, that makes sense. Sure. And I love that. And I, you also have your random Sundays where you're up preaching a message because I've heard you a lot of times and you like to bring the fire. So, <laughs> yeah, they do allow me to get on the stage occasionally, which is a really big risk sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, it's usually are... with your 90s rap references. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm completely different than Pastor Rick and Margie. And so they allow me to be myself. And I appreciate that a lot. So. So yeah, I do get to teach sometimes and I love doing that. Um, but yeah, most of the time my job is the day-to-day operations of, of ministry. A lot of um, investing and in pastoring the leaders, it sounds like too. Yeah, absolutely. I spent a lot of time, um, like I said, I had many different roles here. Uh, the first job I was hired on to do was um, outreach director. And so I led a ministry in East St. Louis for about 13 years and loved that, loved that ministry. Um, so, but it's, a, it's, a, it's just completely different now. So now sure. I'm helping people, you know, helping our outreach director 
um, you know, pushing her forward, motivating her, helping her make, you know, tough decisions. Uh, but it's a completely different seat. And sometimes I miss that hands-on um, oh, sure. that I had yeah. before. So, yeah, definitely. Well, um, I just, I don't know you super well, so I just want to ask some more like probing questions. <laughs> Tell us a little <laughs> bit about your testimony, just what, how you even got to the point where you knew you were called to be in pastoral ministry. So, yeah, I have a crazy testimony, um, probably a lot of which I probably can't share on here. But uh, before I got saved, just lived a crazy life, you know, and, um, you know, looking for uh, acceptance in relationships and with drugs and alcohol. And um, thank God I had a family. I had been brought up in church to a degree. And I had a, a grandma that prayed for me all the time. And, uh, yeah, so I had a foundation there, thankfully. Um, and then about, I think it was 17 years old and miraculously all of my friends kind of turned their back on me. I ended up just like lost for a couple of weeks. I had no idea where I was going or who my crew, you know, who I would call my tribe or my crew and, um, ended up you know, going to my last resort, which is what my grandma taught me to do is to, you know, look to God. So I spent some time talking to God and just felt like my life was nothing without him. And I didn't want what I had before. I knew that was a dead end. I kind of, you know, thankfully he opened my eyes to see that was a dead end. So I gave my heart to Christ at 17. It was my senior year in high school. And, um, you know, got rid of all the friends who ended up coming back. Of course, they come back to try to say, Hey, let's be friends. And it's like, man, my life's so different now. Like I want my life to be different now. Yeah. So, uh, started that journey came here in 2002, right away, got plugged into faith family church and, um, uh, you know, found new friends and spent a lot of time, you know, reading the Bible and getting to know what real life looked like, you know, and how that, you know, I kind of tasted what victory felt like and what hope felt like. Uh, and it wasn't attached to anybody but God. You know, yeah. there wasn't anything attached to that. And so I had planned on, I had so many different dreams when I was in high school. Like I thought I was going to be a radio DJ. So <laughs> I don't know why, because that was a dying awesome. career. Um, <laughs> it, obviously, radio is kind of obsolete at this point, and it's also syndicated. Um, I thought I would be some sort of musician. I was in a rock band, actually played guitar. I was in a rock band for a while. Thought I was going to do that. And then when Christ came into my life, it was like, oh, okay. I want to use this stuff for God, you know, um, my voice. I want to use, you know, how I live my life for God. And so went to college for, ended up going to college for mass communications, which was radio and television. But I knew the whole time that really, the communication would be for God and not for, you know, anything else. So yeah. uh, then I went to Bible college and uh, in Tulsa uh, for a year. And then uh, Faith Family Church called me and asked me if I would want to come and work on staff with them. So that's kind of my story a little bit. Nowhere. Yeah. In fact, uh, Pastor Margie, our senior pastor, um, she didn't want me to go to Bible college. She was asking me to stay. And I was like, no, you know, she's like, you're going to learn a lot here. I shouldn't say she didn't want me to go. <laughs> That's not the right. She, I, she thought I'd get experience here in ministry, um, that faith family, excuse me. And so, uh, but I was like, no, I really feel like I'm supposed to go. And that year that I went, 
it really rocked my world. So I'm glad I went, but she called me again. And I think she asked me about five times. Oh, <laughs> all, all of them, all of them, I said no. And then the last one, I was like, well, maybe this is something I should talk to God about. And then I did. <laughs> it felt right. So, <laughs> so And you yeah. were at Rama, right? Yep. Rama Bible College. Yeah. So I went for their first year. So um, I know that at your church, uh, they co-pastor together, but I'm curious to, just because this always is a subject that interests me, what kind of pushback have you gotten being a female pastor? Has that, have you run into some issues with that or maybe in the circle you're in, it doesn't matter? Yeah. I mean, um, I think in any, I was you know, thinking about this a little bit and I think about this all the time, actually, because I'm always studying up on, you know, women in general in the workplace and, uh, you know, women in, in society. And so, um, you know, thankfully, you know, our staff were surrounded by, you know, men who see us as valuable. We have a place at the table, a voice at the table, and see us as, as equal in regard to we bring gifts to the table. You know, like not just being a female, but we have gifts that, you know, we see things that they may not see. Um, and so, so thankfully, you know, we've just surrounded by an awesome staff. Um, but I think in general, um, I've faced in any leadership position, I worked as a manager at a Christian radio station and just being a manager over, a, you know, board operators, uh, you know, you kind of get occasionally it's like, well, what does she know? You know, yeah. um, but I would say probably the most pushback that I've gotten is because of my age, not because of my gender. So mm -hmm. at least from what I've heard, I should say, maybe <laughs> behind my back, I don't know. But uh, the things, you know, the things that people say, because I started ministry here when I was 24, 23, yeah, yeah. and it was a leadership position. So it's hard to, you know, tell and I'm somebody sure. who's been in it. I'm sure walking in where there, um, like there's a female co-pastor already, you know, where Rick and Margie really are hand in hand with this, that there probably wasn't going to be pushback to bring you on staff for your gender within the church. Um, it's funny, Deidre's parents also co-pastored for a long time. So she was kind of raised in that same environment, whereas I was raised in a denomination that believed in women in ministry, but the practice wasn't super... Um, practiced, I guess. Like it was just yeah. a really small percentage. And so there was a lot of pushback when a female did join the staff and, you know, and there, and she was in a pastor position. And yeah. it's just interesting to see how it evolves. Cause I didn't actually know until I was an adult, that that's something that people still don't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's an odd, it's an odd, and it's, it's rare to encounter a big, big pushback. I think it's, you know, and I, like I said, I've kind of been you know, reading books and different things on that. And even for myself, you know, the sexism that comes from me is, you know, it's there too, where it's like, oh, I can't do that because I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's usually subtle things, you know, like, oh, are we sure she can do that? Because we know that she could be emotional. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can, but I also can handle, you know, I can handle it, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just the subtle things. It's usually not like you shouldn't be in this position. It's usually like, can they handle it? And it's, in, and include, including myself, I have that same, you know, sometimes that same language that I have to correct uh, yeah. about myself and about others. So 
So this is even probably more intimate, but talking about language you have to correct, I think we all do. Like there's something, um, so I don't know, we, we talk about the Enneagram a lot here. I'm an Enneagram one, which means I have this inner critic that's just relentless, always criticizing myself, you know, sure. and this, my surroundings. So I don't know if you know your Enneagram type, but even so, even if you don't, like what is that internal voice that, you know, what is that narrative in your own head that you're constantly looking at it? changing it, renewing your mind, you know, someplace where, you know, like this truth is not God's truth. And so I need to replace it with something. Man, that's a really good question. Put you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or maybe in the past, you know, maybe in your journey of just maturing into the place you are now, maybe there was a struggle with something or whatever that you were just like, yeah, I just consistently brought this thought captive to the word of God. And I saw God Mm. change that. I think mine's probably a little bit, um, it's different than, you know, I don't come to the table and I, I kind of am naive in the fact that I, I've never come to the table thinking I'm a woman. I don't deserve to be here. So that isn't a part of my self-talk. Sure. Probably it was the opposite where it was like, why shouldn't I be here? And probably a little bit too, not probably, I shouldn't say probably a little bit too like naive, like. I have something to say, let me say it. And so the talk that I have to work on uh, with myself is just because you have something to say doesn't mean you should say it. And (laughs) just because you have a place at the table doesn't mean you have the right to do or say whatever you want. You should use wisdom and listen more. So I think, you know, as far as what I'm working on is, you know, I'm, you know, take the bull by the horns. Let's do this. Let's get this stuff done. And don't see gender as much, don't see my age, and having to pull back the past, you know, 13 years since I've been working here on staff and saying, I think I need to be more of a listener and someone who gleans wisdom from other people than thinking I arrive at the table with wisdom. And I think that's an indicator of probably different Enneagram number, um, and I know you don't know your Enneagram number yet, but I don't that's, think that's so. Yeah. Future conversation. We're going to work on that. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, even outside of like ministry or anything like that, we do all have some kind of, it looks different. So my insecurity is more critical. Your, um, so maybe you're an eight. I don't know. We're not going to say that, but your, um, yours is, is different because you look at the world through a different lens, you know, Mm -hmm. but even thinking back to your younger self, like what, you know, we all are struggling with something. So obviously you said you were looking for that place of relationally belonging, or maybe just the high of the fun of it or whatever. What were some of the things that drove you in those days that you really see that Christ turned around, like the internal motivators? Yeah. So I think, you know, acceptance, it was something that I really, um, strived for as a kid, you know, my parents were divorced, uh, got divorced when I was, I think eight and kind of lost my dad, you know, in that just didn't really want, um, want me as much. And, uh, uh, that really affected my, you know, ability to feel like people wanted to be with me. Um, I had a great family, but you know, for that, that really affected my relationships in general. And so I, you know, spent a lot of time trying to chase after people and, you know, feel like, um, I could earn their love or earn their acceptance. So when I got saved, I found 
uh, this book by Joyce Meyer called The Root of Rejection. And it's a little book. I carried it around and read it. It's probably like 150 pages. I read it probably once a week, just over and over again and asking God to, you know, to accept, you know, asking God to open my eyes that he accepts me. I can accept myself and, um, and not allowing, you know, the way that people look at me or way that, you know, if they don't look at me, you know, that that's okay. And Uh that insecurity, you know, he started healing that insecurity to the point where there was this moment, probably like after two years of carrying that book around, I carried around my book bag everywhere where he actually asked me to give it away because he was like, you're, you know, you need to release this now and move on and not feel like you have to keep regurgitating this feeling of rejection. And so since then it's been very, yeah, it's been very like, people don't accept me. I get it. It still hurts, you know, of course it hurts, but I don't take it home with me and feel like I'm nothing. So he's really rooted that in me. That's powerful. I think, um, I, well, of course, we know Joyce Myers, but um, she's going to bring the word, you know, to to the table. And so when we replace something like rejection or whatever our word is with the truth of God's word, there comes a point where we don't have to battle for that place anymore because we have renewed our mind in that area. But, but it's so funny because I know Megan and I will talk sometimes. We're like, we've been doing this for years and here's another insecurity or another thing. But it's like it's just the next, the next phase of healing. You know, there's so much of us that God wants to sanctify and redeem. And so it's so uh, cool for you that you had that moment in your story where it was like, no, God said, it's time to let this one go. And, and then what he does is he uses that in our lives to bless somebody else. Like that's a point of ministry now because I've, I've got freedom here. I don't have freedom everywhere, but like I've secured freedom here. That's really cool. And usually when he says, yeah, you're good on this one. And then you're like, awesome. And then he's like, let's talk about this one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, I thought I graduated. I exactly. <laughs> exactly. It kind of feels like we're going back around this whole thing again, but it's like, yeah. it's different this time. Cause I've, I've got a certain level of victory, you know, and I'm just, he's building on that. But every once in a while, it feels like we're just deconstructing all over again. It's like, how am I back here again? But yeah. It's, it's a new thing that he's wanting to do a new work. Um, so I think that's really yeah. cool. Just as you were talking about the book that you had such a like physical symbol of what he was doing and he's like, give that away. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I held on to it for too long, I think, but it was, <laughs> it was like a security blanket and it was good. It was a good opportunity. Cause he's like, I'm your security blanket at this book. I'm yeah. like, I hear that. Like it, he used the book to help me. Um, but it's like, okay, you know, that point of contact, you know, can now be me and not this, reliance on this book of, of truth, but not be me. So, right. That's good. That's super yeah. good. Um, what are the topics that just light you up to talk about? Like if they ask you to preach and there's no sermon series already picked or something like <laughs> what, what is it that you just have to let people know what's burning in your heart or maybe just right now in this season? Yeah. So since, you know, as kind of a, a catalyst to that book that I talked about, since I experienced that healing, uh, that emotional healing, I call it, mm-hmm. that's really been something that all these years since I've been saved that is huge on my heart is emotional healing, in particular for women, because yeah. we carry so much. And, um, it, you know, it's different than being emotional. It's those wounds that, you sure. know, we, we, are, we, do, we are strong. So we're like, okay, we're going to move on. 
and not realizing how damaging they are to our freedom and our, you know, ability to have really healthy relationships. So emotional healing is something that I'm always, you know, wanting to talk about and uh, as well as boundaries, which comes goes along with emotional healing, you know, emotional issues is being able to, you know, know when you start, you know, when you end and someone else begins and when you start and, you know, there's not no merging of, of, uh, um, boundaries with people that you shouldn't, you know, um, that you shouldn't cross. So those are two areas, emotional healing and and boundaries are huge for me. And I study them and I try to live them as much as I can. So sounds exactly like the message we always are pounding the payment with here at Dallas Grace, but. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) It's so true. Freed people, free people. And so I think that that just what you said, there's kind of a testament of that. Like when you touch that freedom of it, that's what you turned around. Then instead of walking around trying to like self-protect in all those places where you felt insecure, you were able to really reach out. And now you're freeing other people from those same places, even though it was probably really scary. But even when God, like you'd experienced the healing, God said, let go of this book. That was probably a scary moment because I know this, I don't know this, you know, I don't know what comes next. And so just every step forward in that, even after the freedom, is scary sometimes. And that's why For actually sure. why we're called Dauntless Grace, because it takes a Dauntless Grace to step into that next level of whatever God's calling us to. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. I think a lot of, um, I'm surprised at how many Christian women I know, really, everything's fine. It's all just fine. You know, like there's nothing, you ask like, uh, even in small groups that we've had where we're asking people like for a pain point that they can remember, they're like, I don't know, I had a good childhood. Like, it's fine. You know, and I'm like, I don't understand that because we're constantly (laughs) like going, let's get subconscious and go below the waterline and let's see what, what's motivating all of these behaviors. And um, yet I don't think that that's, uh, what do they call that? Like whole living, you know, to just kind of live up here. Like it's fine because I've learned how to manage the behaviors and manage the circumstances. And so um, any kind of longing that comes up, you know, I just kind of shove that down. But I feel like yeah. if that's how we're relating to ourselves and to others, it's how we're relating to God. And he has so much more for us. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I know we're, we're going to be a little more similar in our kind of more charismatic faith <laughs> background in terms of yeah. how we experience God, but just something along those lines that stands out to you is a, a time where you just know that like you encountered God in a, a deeper way or a new way, besides maybe obviously the, the initial salvation moments are huge, but. Yeah. So I don't know how deep, um, or personal you want me to get. I don't know. If, you share whatever the, you're comfortable what's with. What's the level on your podcast? <laughs> whatever, you're, um, whatever you said it to me. <laughs> I mean, there's no kids okay. listening if that's what you're asking. Oh, no, no, it's not that kind of, <laughs> yeah, no, not that kind of, but yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure if I shared this with you, Megan or not, but, um, I went through a divorce about six years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. I shared that with you. So, um, you know, those, uh, you know, it's one of those moments where, gosh, I had been, you know, in love with Jesus and doing everything right. I thought, you know, and going by the book, you know, ever since I got saved, it was like, I will do exactly what the Bible tells me to do. And, um, you know, dated, uh, this man who, you know, was a Christian man for three years to see if he was the right one and, you know, the whole nine yards. And, um, uh, and then when it fell apart, um, there was some infidelity and different things, uh, it was like, whoa, I thought I knew God, you know, mm-hmm. I thought 
I thought that if I did all of these things, then he would take care of me. And um, man, so I really encountered God in that the true in you know the true sense of who God is in my life. I encountered Him there um, because He showed me that you know it's not it's not about all the things I do, and you know people are going to be people and people are going to hurt people, but it's about my reliance on Him and my my um, determination to say no matter what, I'm with you, God. Like no matter how imperfect my life is and no, no matter how everything seems to not go the way I thought it was going to go, yeah. um, man, I always will choose you. I will always choose you. And so God and I kind of had <laughs> kind of a good, good, uh, couple years there where it was like, he just kept reframing the way I thought that it's not about me. It's really about what, who am I going to choose at the end of the day? You know, who am I going to mm-hmm. choose to follow? Um, my good works, all of my rules, my perfectionism, right. or am I going to follow him regardless? And so, you know, a song, I think you asked me earlier, like something that stuck out to me or that's been kind of like my theme, whatever for my life. And that's oddly enough and probably super simple, but just that him, it is well with my soul oh, because yeah. man, when I was going through that divorce, I just listened to that song over and over again in my car and it just reminded me, like, you know, he is a peace. He's a peace in the storm, and he calms the waters, you know, in my yeah. life. And there will be, you know, storms, and there will be trials and tribulations, but, but I will always choose him no matter what. I will say it is well with my soul because he's mine, and I'm his, so. That's so good. Since we've specifically been talking about your role as a female pastor, This might be a really personal question, so you can say pass. But (laughs) what was it like going through um, a divorce and on a platform like that? Oh, it was embarrassing. (laughs) It's super embarrassing, which was perfect for me, uh, quite honestly. It's it. You know, I kind of treasure those moments. Sometimes I should say uh, where a lot of humility is brought because it really does kind of strip you of your pride and like, Hey, I got this. And so oddly enough, you know, I, before my divorce, you know, I would teach sermons here about how to, you know, how to date the right people and how to do all the right things to make sure that your marriage is secure, not realizing that, you know, behind the curtain, all this stuff was going on that I had no idea about. And so it really, um, it was very humbling and embarrassing, but, the same time, so many people, you know, especially on staff, Pastor Rick and Margie, I mean, they just walked alongside of me and just kept pushing me forward. They were like, we don't want this to end your ministry here. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't going to make, this isn't going to break you. This is going to make you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, I clung to their words and not, you know, tried to not be as embarrassed as I wanted to be. And they kept me up front, out front, you know, they kept me, and not where they protected me, but they kept me in the same spot. Cause I was yeah. like, Hey, if you want me to step down, if you want me right. to, you know, give up my position because this probably doesn't look good. I mean, I didn't understand anything about perception and ministry at that time. And they were like, what, you know, you're, if you walk through this, you know, with God, you're going to be able to be an example to people. Cause there's a lot of people who've gone through divorces mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, so it was very humbling. Um, 
and also again, life changing because it changed the way I spoke to people. And now I a lot of times say, I don't know, but I do know who <laughs> does know, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I don't have all the answers and none of us do, but man cling to God because he knows how to walk you through this. So I think we want a faith that's formulaic like that. Like if I do Mm -hmm. A, B and C, then this is the result, you know? And so God kind of sets us up and it's different for all of us so that that result isn't what we get from our own efforts, you know, because if it did, (laughs) what what do we need him for? You know, it even makes me think though, like it's always about stripping something away. Like we talk in um, our message about how Adam and Eve, when they sinned, the first thing they do is they discover that they are naked. Like this nakedness and shame is all wrapped up. And so their first, uh, first act is to cover it up. So these fig leaves, right? Like this, but we do that in our lives. We're so desperate to not have our shame exposed. And even in Mm -hmm. something like this, where it wasn't even your shame, but you know, just the perception of it or whatever. Sure. So I think that humility is the byproduct of encountering God in those places because we can rest in it. We don't have to strive to cover it up or, or, you know, make ourselves look better or whatever. It's like, he wants that relational encounter because he just, he, he breathes on us in that place. It's just like, that was hard for me. I know just growing up as a Christian, just always thought, well, I've always done it right. And so why am I not seeing this result, whatever it was in different, different situations, uh, multiple times in my life. But then I get mad at God, like you didn't uphold your bargain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great, you know, it's a great comparison to even to marriage, you know, our, our, you know, earthly marriages is it's, you know, it's like, you know, most of the time I don't live up to what I'm supposed to live up to as a wife and my husband doesn't either, but it's like at the end of the day, we choose each other, you know? And so it's kind of reminds me of that, like, you know, God, I'm not ever going to meet, you know, the, the high bar that you have. Um, thankfully you're, you've made me righteous, but you still choose me, you know? And so it's, it's been helpful to kind of remember that, like, you're going to fail, you're going to be, you're flawed. So are other people around you, but that doesn't mean you don't choose them, you know? That's good. Um, I think you've said a lot of things um, that are good nuggets here, but I I told you earlier, I'm going to put you on the spot at the end and just say, if you had just a minute to preach to our listeners, (laughs) what is it that you want to leave them with? Just to encourage them or to put them on the path of truth or something that you find is just a helpful tool in your emotional healing yeah, I um, gosh, you told me that you would ask this, and then I was like, "Cool, I got it." And then now I'm like, "Shoot." Um, I guess you know, kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about is one of the things that has really brought me a lot of freedom the past couple years, probably since my divorce, is being willing to be wrong and and listen to people's feedback about you, you know, because and the people you love, I should say. Um, the people you love and trust that it's okay to believe what they say about you and love because they really are trying to make you a better person. And God oftentimes uses those people. And so, you know, once some of the freedom I found is not rejecting anything negative, you know, pe- that people have to say about me and say, man, I need to receive that. And it's brought so much awareness to my life. Um, and I, now I value it so much to say, what do you see in me? Because I don't want anything to hinder me from my relationship with God, first yeah. and foremost, my relationship with my husband, uh, and also my witness to people. 
you know, if I, you know, a lot of times people, uh, back in the day, some years ago, they'd be like, you know, you don't look very accessible, (laughs) you know, you don't look like, and I'm like, dang, that's not good. Like, and I brush it off like, well, it was a bad day or, you know, well, that was because you have an attitude, you know, you stupid stuff and you kind of brush it off. And then, you know, after a few people say it, now it's like, gosh, I want to be so accessible to people. I want to go in a grocery store and people are like, I can go up and talk to her and feel comfortable and mm-hmm. that they will listen to me about Christ most importantly. And so um, I think that's kind of the nugget I have is at this stage in my life is, gosh, you know, listen to people. Don't take it as criticism, but as, a, you know, something to grow in and to step up and be closer to God and to be a better witness. I think that's good. And I also think it's funny that that would have been a critique of you because in the year or so that I've known you, just even kind of occasionally, you were so accessible. I actually remember the first time I saw you at a church service, I think you were doing communion or something. And just the way you kind of flowed in the spirit, I remember texting Deidre after that. And I'm like, they have this chick on staff and she's a pastor and she can sing and her, she has the best haircut I've ever seen. <laughs> and I messaged you out of nowhere and you were like, let's do coffee. And I'm like, wow, like that's Aww. a big church and she's on a pastor and she's like, yeah, let's connect. So like, I think if that's something that really was like that people were pointing out to you, you've come a long way because you were super accessible. So thank you. I received <laughs> that. Thank you. Yes. I don't think that was me some years ago. My, uh, what my boss here at work, uh, he's retired now, but he said, uh, he said, you know, we need to see a little bit more sunshine from you. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, he's like, you're in a lot. You're in work mode a lot. And I do like, I have two modes. It's work mode or like completely nuts mode. So, um, so I've been trying to merge the two, you know, do both at the same time. And so, but yeah, I appreciate that feedback. That's helpful because I do strive to do that. And then now it's a little bit more natural, uh, where it's like, don't be in work mode, focus on people. People are more important. So, so yeah, thank you you. I think um, just about everything you said today kind of comes back to relational issues. You know, we, it's being in relationship with others. It brings out the worst and the best in us. So at the beginning of your journey, it was, you know, other people taking you down the wrong path. But as we just um, close this time, I just wanted to say thank you for being vulnerable and raw with us and being willing to share maybe some things that are hard to share. But I think that a lot of women listening, um, they're trying to figure out how to just take the next step in that really painful moment, whether that is divorce or whatever. And um, to know that they're not alone in that, that there are people that um, are around them that care, but also there are people that like you that have a testimony that says, listen, if nothing else, know that you can cling to Jesus today. And so I just wanted to leave them with that reminder, just cling to Jesus in everything that you do. And in the meantime, press into those healthy relationships that God's put in your life for a reason, um, because they will bring you to more wholeness. So thank you so much for your time with us and for sharing. I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh man. Thank you. It was an honor to be with you guys and I'm excited to hear what you guys have coming up next. So you guys do, um, well, I have some questions for you after this, but, but thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace, and you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org 
for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.